welcome to the RTE Soccer Podcast Daily World Cup Edition. Hope you're all well. Mikey Stafford here. Joined uh, to watch the uh, frantic finale to Group C with Poland and Argentina and Saudi Arabia and Mexico with Michael Foley of the Sunday Times and Anthony Pine of RTE Sport. Um, hope you're both well, gentlemen. I know we're, we're kind of getting a bit dizzy here. Um, as it stands, with half an hour to play, which means about half an hour left in this podcast, not that we're counting down the time or anything. Um, Argentina are currently one up on Poland, thanks to a um, Alexis McAllister. Are we calling it a shinner, Mick? Uh, did it hit a standing foot? It looked like it did. Yeah, it's it's close. And all right, I thought it was a great goal, though. Whatever, whether it was a shinner or a or, or a beautifully crafted, uh, <laughs> shaped uh, shot, I thought it was a terrific goal. It was if you put it into one place, it shows he wasn't going to get it. Like. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he knew much about it, Anthony. What do you think? A bit of a, a bit of a scuffer, Mikey. It was, it was well, well created. Uh, oh, the overload on the right was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, really. Yeah. I actually, I think that's this is Argentina. From what I've been able to watch so far, it started to look like a serious team for the first time. I think tonight. I don't think they're absolutely in top gear, but having been quite unconvincing, uh, you're sort of seeing flashes of why a lot of people fancied them coming into this. I think they've been quite good, and I have to say, yeah, in patches. Yeah, and they 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 could have been two 0 up, except uh, Wojciech Chesney saved his second penalty of the tournament from Leo Messi as justice. I think Mick was undeniably served. Uh, Chesney was penalised for grazing Messi's face with his fingers as he blindly uh, reached backwards to try and intercept a cross. Uh, you could tell you could tell by the reaction of Chesney when the penalty was given. It was pure. This is a messy penalty. If it was anybody else, they wouldn't have been given. That was absolutely what was going through his mind, I think, at the time. They could yeah. have been, like Argentina could have been definitely two, maybe three up at half time. Oh, Chesney's man match still, you know. He's, he's having a great game, but it's kind of set up. This game is set up for Argentina to to to, to show their stuff just by virtue of the fact that the polls, I mean, it's kind of going the way people have expected. Poland are kind of sitting in hoping for the best. Um, so it's set up. It's, it's there for the Argentinians to show what they can do going forward. Like, you know, but yeah, they're looking better. They're definitely looking better to me than what I've seen them so far, you know? Yeah. Just, just, just on the penalty, actually, just before it sort of disappears, if Argentina win this, we, we may forget about that penalty. It was a brilliant save. It was. An incredible Glorious. record. Chesney, like he, he saved three penalties in a row last season. Juventus, I think he faced six and he saved three of them, three, three consecutively. And the save against Saudi Arabia... Which was a double save, if you remember. He saved the penalty, but then the second save was unbelievable. His reaction to get up and save it. So he 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 actually spoke about analysing Messi's penalties uh, before this match. So uh, he, yeah. he probably fancied it. And I tell you, it, it, you know, often penalty saves, you look at the kicker and say wasn't a great effort. It was actually a pretty good penalty. It was wasn't much wrong with that. It, it was a very good penalty. Yeah, yeah, he read it and he got a big, strong paw to it. It was, it was a fantastic save. It's an interesting one because I think of all the Premier League goalkeepers, I don't think anybody has a better record in saving penalties or very few do than Lucas Fabianski. So Poland are blessed with fantastic uh, penalty stoppers. Um, lucky them because they seem to be conceding quite a few penalties too. <laughs> helps. Um, yeah, and just to practice. say... Exactly. In the other match, Mexico are currently 2-0 up on Saudi Arabia. Uh, Henry Martin scored a goal from a corner just after Henry Martin. Sorry, Henry Martin doesn't sound very Mexican. Henry Martin scored the opener and uh, Luis Chavez then belted in a 30-yard free kick, which is absolutely Jeez. amazing. 
Uh, I was just about to say, I was very impressed with Henry Martin. Remember, he wrote a very fine book about Limerick Hurling some years ago, and now he's <laughs> popping up at the World Cup. Man of many talents. A man of many talents. But if you get a chance, get onto the uh, RTE Sport or RTE Soccer Twitter page and have a look at Luis Xavi's um, free kick. It's a belter. But as it stands, Mexico, they either need Argentina to score another goal or they need to score another goal themselves. Ideally, both, so we get a, we don't get dragged into the mire here of total goals scored and fair play award and the drawing of lots by FIFA because that, that's where we'd head if the goal difference nudges by one. At the moment, Poland are still going through on dint of goal difference. Um, so that's how this evening's look. And earlier this afternoon, um, I have it written down, so I have to read it out really. I liked it at the time. Uh, Leckie pulled the plug at Dark Horses Denmark to leave them in the pitch black of elimination. Um, yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but um, <laughs> uh, but great scenes, Anthony, in Melbourne, uh, 4 a.m. in the morning, and there was tens of thousands of people in, I think it's called Fed Square, um, celebrating, um, letting off fireworks, um, pyro, um, you know, phone torches, whatever you have. Um, it might not be, a, you know, a country wholesale sold on soccer, but um, they seem to have got into the spirit of this World Cup. Well, I mean, look, that's that's what happens when you start to do well. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think you would call Ireland pocky country, uh, but a couple of years ago when we got to the World Cup final, we were all suddenly uh, scrambling for the, the the hockey rule books and, and jumping on the bandwagon. So, um, look, it's it they deserved it. I I was doing our live blog earlier, and uh, you know Denmark that that is a disappointing tournament for Denmark. It really is. Like, there was a lot of people sort of had them down as dark horses to go deep, you know, into the last four, potentially. But um, they, they just left all their, their creative creative juices failed to flow for the whole tournament, Mikey. They, they were toothless, you know, they really were toothless. And particularly in the second half, they, they, they started well, but in the second half, they just ran out of ideas. And when they got, they, they, they just got hit with that goal by Leckie uh, on the break. He took it very well. It was, it was a good goal, actually. Uh, and from that point on, you really just felt that you just could not see them turning it around. You know, Australia are dogged, well organized. They're one of those teams that would be um, sort of the Republic of Ireland's women team. In actual fact, they're, they're very comfortable. I thought the same thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they really looked right at home. Two big centre halves who were excellent for them. And yeah, fair play to them. Look, they're, they're through, and uh, it's obviously a great moment for them. And, you know, I, I, I think, is it. Sorry, maybe one of you guys might know who they actually could get. Is it uh, Argentina they could get in the next round? If Argentina win the group, I, I think it could be Argentina. Yeah. Last 16. Yeah. Uh, so, look, you'd imagine that could be the end of the road for them if that's case. But it's a pretty swing. They got out of the group and really their tournament will go down as, as, as a success. Yeah. And in the other game, Mick, heartbreak for Tunisia, who pulled off a fantastic 1-0 win over, you know, if... Give Tunisian footballers which country would you most like to beat in the World Cup, lads? Exactly. Every one of them will say France. They beat them. Okay, granted, it was a weakened French team with an absolutely fantastic winning goal, and yet Australia pull off a you know a moderate sized shock, and it means that it's all for now for the Tunisians. That's that's heartbreaking. It's tough. It's beyond tough. I was watching the 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 Danish match mostly you now this afternoon on the background, but uh, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, given France's 
uh, difficult history in North Africa, or more so North Africa's difficult history with France, it should be said, really. Um, you know, this would have been an enormous match. I actually looked to see what the Tunisian record against France was like. And actually, in fact, the first time a Tunisian international team played France, it was in something called the Mediterranean Cup back in 1971, but it was an amateur French team that played. And they actually beat them. They beat them in this competition. But uh, ah, look, that's it's an enormous, it's an enormous win for them. And like you say, uh, sport is just horrible sometimes that you just don't quite get it. And I mean, but and I mean, down to the fact that, you know, Griezmann equalizes with like 15 seconds to go. I guess we're for offside and you know, it could have been so glorious. It could have been so, so glorious for them. But uh, look, the Australians, like, like, like Anthony was saying there, like the Australians, you know, and the Americans as well. I mean, it, it is significant, I think, and interesting to see teams like Australia and the States starting to make moves like this. Like they're, they both sort of um, conform to that standard that long, that long-standing sort of uh, what you call a sort of template for teams that you know don't quite have the natural tradition and skill of of the likes of Argentina and the rest. They're physically strong. They're very athletic. They're very fit. They're well organized. And that takes you a hell of a long way in international football, and it will get you into the second round of a World Cup, as we found ourselves. So, like, um, where it goes next is will be interesting. But just from purely from the point of view of just building building the, the the sport in both countries it's massive because they're the team if anyone's going to win 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 a world cup outside of europe and south america you'd be possibly looking at the states first of all you know maybe a couple of the african teams and why not australia in, in the next two 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 decades or something three decades yeah um we've got a second goal for argentina we do we do it's two nil i was listening to you michael anybody tell me who scored it <laughs> uh otherwise i think was it? Oh, justified in his selection. It was wow. a lovely goal. It was a lovely goal. He really, he kind of shot from just uh, edge of the box and he just kind of shaped it, just shaped it into the far corner. It was a very good goal. Okay, but justifying his selection, I was kind of surprised that they dropped uh, Martinez in his favour. I'm, I'm really beginning to wonder, Anthony, what uh, Angel Di Maria has on the manager of Argentina and how he keeps being selected. I, I I per- I'm, I'm personally baffled by it, but I know he did play a role in the first goal, um, kind of a supporting, sporting role, but I'm, I'm still, with all the talent they have, I'm struggling to see how he's making this first 11. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't disagree with you, Mike. The thing about him is, it's, sometimes you see this with players, he has this sort of, um, he's got a, a maverick ability with that left over. Occasionally, he can just do something really brilliant with it. It's just that the older he gets, the, the less frequent those moments are. And when you take that, you know, when you lose that or he stops doing that enough to justify his selection, you're, you're left with a player who just looks, he's not giving you a huge amount of, another, of his game. You know, it's, it's, it's deteriorating uh, year on year. So it's the same with PSG. Like he's just, he's one of those players that sort of hovers around the periphery, has such fantastic natural ability that you always think he might just pull something out of the bag but uh, when you're that sort of player you sort of have to there has to be returns you know there has to be tangible returns and like a direct assist or a goal and I think with Di Maria uh, I'm not really seeing he's so peripheral at PSG he now plays for Juventus Oh, well, there's right there. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. You, uh, I, I was like, PS, no, no, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Sorry. I, 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 I had them in my mind's eye of just drifting around the, the edge of uh, so many. Yeah. Being ineffective around Parc de France. But there you go. But, but, but that says it all. 
put him. I mean, he even though he's at Manchester United, it was just a, just just terrible to watch. I mean, he's thirty four years of age now. So I mean, we're at we're at we're at the end for Angel Di Maria. Um, yeah. and I actually thought. I mean, the first half I actually thought he was better in the first half than I'd seen him. The bits I'd seen of Argentina with him, he was he was particularly poor in 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 one of the one of the previous games, but. He kind of seemed to be coming around a bit. Just out of curiosity here, Mikey, you're the man now. I know. I know you're the man for this, right? You've got you, you've got the list of how you get through from a group to the second phase, right? Right yeah. in front of you. We know that, right? As it stands, right? I've got an as it stands table in front of me. And you have Argentina top. Poland are still second, right? Now, at the moment, Poland and Mexico have identical... They, they are Poland, are second on the dint of the fact that Mexico have seven yellow cards and Poland have four. Wow. That's where we're at so... at the moment. But I don't think anybody thinks that Argentina are finished scoring, and I would say if anybody's <laughs> going to score in the other game, it's going to be Mexico too. So we mightn't get down to the glory of the fair play here, but uh, yeah. at the moment, that's it. But at the moment, Poland are going through on the, uh, on the fact that they're just better behaved than the Mexicans. Who did kick lumps out of Argentina for 90 minutes, let's be fair. You reap as you sow, I suppose. You do, you reap as you sow. Uh, Mick, most people will know you more as a um, a GAA um, a contributor, for us anyway, the GAA podcast, but um, I like the or idea wrestler. of the, yeah, or <laughs> It's true, Mick Foley. Um, you're lucky I knew that one, I'm not, uh, wouldn't be my sport. But um, you are at the moment uh, yeah, recording a series on the 1982 World Cup where you're day by day watching the games as as they would have happened. And I was going to get you on anyway, but I think it's it's very interesting now. There, I saw a story on The Athletic today saying the um, FIFA are undecided how they are going to arrange the 48 teams at the next World Cup, whether it'll be 16 groups of three, or 12 groups of four. It was all, it was nailed on to be 16 groups of three, but now they're wondering about that. They're actually, if they do 16 groups of three, they're going to have penalty shootouts before or after every group game. So oh there'll, be bo- there'll be bonus points for the team that uh, wins the penalty shootout. Oh um, but obviously their concern with the three team groups is skullduggery and teams knowing what they need going into the last game. And, uh, you know, 1982 stands out uh quite infamously on this front really doesn't it and it was the reason why groups were always an even number thereafter yeah yeah exactly so yeah in the first round uh so what was just very quickly the format right so the format a2 was first round exactly as we have it now and then the top two teams from, from all the groups 12 of them went into a second round where they're all in groups of three four groups of three and the top team and all those four groups then went to the semi-finals so that's what we're talking about groups of three so at that time it was ludicrous right so you had games going on even when we're doing the rewatch for one day at a time i completely my head is wrecked because you get into a rhythm of modern world cups where the group games are both you know so even like today now or even in the second round of stuff you, like the group games all happen on the one day in 1982 they were happening all over the place there was no there was, there was no synchronization whatsoever. And the final day of group games, there was no final day of group games. You could have the final group game and let's say group one could be on today and the other last game could be on tomorrow. So it was all a mess. And of course, it all culminated with West Germany, Austria and what's gone down in history as the, as the disgrace of Gijon, uh, where uh, the Germans needed to win and the Austrians were already through. They, they had beaten Chile and Algeria. The Algerians had achieved an, an amazing amazing win over west germany which is actually lads it's well worth digging out to see it what a performance from the algerians back then but so the algerians basically got screwed as a result of this so that as you say that's why 
that's partly why there was other reasons as well, but that was partly why that we went to the system that we have now where we're trying to watch two games at one time. <laughs> if they want, if they want a view on three team groups, FIFA really need to get me and the other lads who are doing one day at a time into a room. But don't do it. Just don't do it. Like now, of course, it's di- it will be di- the problem with the 82 format was that only one team was going through from a group of three. So basically, if you lost your first game, you were screwed. You really were, unless other very strange things happened. But equally, like you had a situation like England, for example, in 1982, were unbeaten through the whole the whole tournament. Uh, they drew their two matches in their little three-team group, but they didn't go through. West Germany went in ahead of them uh, by virtue of the fact that they had beaten Spain. So like that was another reason why those groups were disbanded, because you could suddenly be removed from a World Cup having not lost the game. Yeah, it's... Anthony, I know we're we're talking about the next World Cup. Well, we're simultaneously trying to watch two games at this World Cup, but we are watching like like this. This is the magic of a third. Like people complained about it going to thirty two as well. Obviously, people thought twenty four was perfect, and but let's be honest, with the amount of countries in the world, I think thirty two is more realistic. And you could argue you're representing the other parts of the world by letting them in, but it's going to dilute it. I either way, the three team group is going to make it absurd as uh, the idea of penalty shootouts. Or if you go to four, 12 groups of four, you're going to have, you know, you're, you're, best will in the world, you're, you're going to end up with a group where you're going to have, say, you know, Brazil, England, and the equivalent of the Republic of Ireland and Hong Kong in a, in a group together. And it's, it's not going to end well for the Irish or the Hong Kongese, Hong Kongers. Um, so it just, it's just like, as we're watching these games saying, this is great, this is entertainment, this is, you know, melting our brains you know, there's a good chance we won't see this again. Yeah, it, look, it, it's it's similar to the Champions League, the change of Champions League uh, format to the Swiss model, um, where they'll just have a big giant league and everyone mm. plays 10 games and, and the top eight teams progress. Um, there seems to be, with the top brass, a lot of the time they, they seem to think that, you know, the best teams are Argentina, Brazil, whoever it is, France. And what the fans want is the best teams to play each other all the time. So this is almost the protection of the top nations. Like they will absolutely all get out of the group and therefore we'll have more big games, bigger, better. The reality is the most interesting and enjoyable part of these major tournaments is the twists and the shocks and the underdogs. I mean, that that is what makes tournaments. I and mean, if, if we look back on uh, over the years from wherever, 82, 86, Italian 90, now, what, what do you remember most? It, it is Cameroon or Ireland or whoever over, over the years, like those those great moments. And this mm. one, is, as you say, has already thrown up a couple of fantastic moments on the pitch where, with, you know, late wins and Iran's win against Wales. You know, that that's what it's all about. That is what the fans enjoy the most. Um, and I just, you'd fear that this change in format will, will remove a lot of that romance and fairy tale. And of course, the tension, like the fact that we're now looking at these games simultaneously and we're talking about it could go down to drawing lots or counting yellow cards. And um, there's a lot of fun in that. You know, it's tension, mm. it's drama. That's that's what it's all about. So it's quite grim. Um, and yeah, it's, it's uh, it, they're going to lose so much, you know, they're going to lose so much by, by going that way with it. But, yeah, it will obviously make sure that 
Mexico will make it to the second round as they are always entitled, you know, contractually obliged to do so. Although at the moment they are yeah. still they are still going out on dint of having more yellow cards. There's been no more goals in these matches. They are both still two nil with about ten minutes to go in Poland Argentina and about. 12, 13 minutes to go in the Mexico. Oh, Mexico are breaking. Mexico squares it. Oh, great tackle by the Saudi. Oh, Goal-saving block by the Saudi defender there. Uh, it looked like Mexico were about to <laughs> erase their uh, yellow card record from uh, the record books, or the need for it anyway. Um, but yeah, th- look, this, this is this is what we're looking at. This is, um, and it's, it's the last one of these, and it, it really is a shame, I would have to say. Um, go back to Denmark for a minute, Mick. Um, uh, I, 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 there was something. It was no. It was, it was, it was mentioned by the the commentators and by the pundits on RTE. The just how flat the atmosphere was, um, and I do wonder. Denmark were one of the you know teams who were most outspoken about the World Cup being held in Qatar. Obviously, their jersey maker Hummel went with this kind of branded, non-branded jersey, which was good marketing and made some kind of a point. But our coach said after the first game, he said, you know, I'm supposed to be 100 percent focused on these games and I'm struggling to do that kind of saying, you know, he was still wrestling with being there. Um, obviously, the FA have made a couple of strong statements about, you know, FIFA and, and not backing Gianni Infantino. And you just wonder if they were kind of subconsciously being conscientious objectors and like you know, that, that somehow like the lack of a build up or like the kind of you know, this kind of stance the FA and a lot of supporters had taken had kind of almost sucked something out of the team themselves. It, they just seemed so, it was such a bloodless exit for such a kind of classy team. It's possible, I suppose. They certainly played like conscientious objectors. <laughs> um, like, I was very disappointed with them. Um, you know, Euro 2020, stroke 21 semi-finalists. Um you know, very good record coming into the tournament, had beaten France in the Nations League. Maybe they did too much before the tournament. Maybe they were going too well, you know, that kind of way. But um, I, yeah, I, I, and even, you know, I, I think you mentioned them there at the top of the show as, as, as possible, dark horses. I'm not even so sure. I think they were more than, I think they weren't quite dark horses. I think they were really, in, in a fairly tightly bunched group pack behind one or two real contenders, they would have been right in there if they got to the knockout stages. You wouldn't have, um, you wouldn't have fancied getting them, you know. So, I mean, whether it was, um, and that can have an impact, all right. Like whether 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 it was, you know, being in Qatar and 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 all that went with it, and their their sort of reluctance or, or kind of discomfort with being there, perhaps because little things like that can drain you in a tournament. There's no question about it. Like we've seen it plenty of times down the decades. Um, that you know, dis- unease like that can can affect things, and particularly in tournaments where you know if you can get it together for a couple of games, you can go really well. But equally, if you fall apart for a couple of games, you can be gone. So it was. They were just like today. To me, they just it kind of epitomised a lot about them. You know, they were fine up to a point, but when it came to the business of actually creating a chance and getting a shot on goal, they just kind of fell away. And I mean. You know, even the like the Australian goal was a good goal, but they kind of got away fairly easily down the pitch, and it was yeah. even in, in the run into fight at the end of it, it was it was bloodless enough. It was it was kind of flat. It was like the even the fans had sort of whatever fans were there had kind of checked out. I mean, I think you can go to a tournament with objections and with discomfort, but you are there, you are yeah. there, and you have to consider to yourself, well, how can I make the best of this? And perhaps the best way to make the best of this, if you are there and you have these objections, let's do our damnedest to go as far as we possibly can and make points as we go along. 
Um, so if that was the case, I think they maybe they handled that energy badly. Yeah, I, I think I think just sorry, just to add to that as well, Mikey. Like you can't discount the pressure that they came under. Like, yeah, they're not a country used to going. To the, like I know they won in Euro '92, but they're not really used to going in. Being they were quite widely tipped to go deep, as as Michael says. Uh, first game they draw with Tunisia, and from that point on, you're in big trouble if you're Denmark because your next game is France, which they lost, and they're then they're into this position where already. Well, their third group game there's this feeling that it's been a disappointing world cup even before it even ended with them you know there's this kind of cloud over there's a lot of pressure on them today and the first thing that went against them in the match which was the goal because they have been the better team i think certainly in the first half as soon as the goal went against them it was over you know they, yeah. they wilted i i think the same thing is going to happen to belgium i think belgium are just on the cusp of yeah. untangling you know, for similar reasons, it's obviously not a happy camp and they're feeling, you know, like the pressure has just opened all those cracks up really wide. And I think even if Belgium do get out of this group, that they're not going to go too far because there's just a lack of resilience there. There's a discordance there and pressure has this way of blowing those little cracks wide open, you know, if you're not together and if you're not a strong unit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. The pressure actually, it's a very good point. Like, I mean, and the Belgians, and the Belgians have, have lived with pressure for so long now. That and the fact that they haven't been able to alleviate it by winning something, that's you know it's just building and building and building. And funny, like when you think about it, like Denmark, it's thirty years. Yeah, it's thirty years since since Euro ninety two this year. So be sure that that's weighing on them as well. I mean, we funny as well as that we did. We're doing nineteen eighty two at the moment as a podcast series. We did Euro ninety two during the summer, um, and it was fascinating to see. I mean, as as much as as much as the Danes have fallen apart in the space of three games here. It came together for them in that tournament, probably in the space of two games. Mm. Um, they were like, even during the group stages in in Euro '92, they didn't particularly look like they were going to. It was not until they kind of got into the semi-finals and had an amazing performance against the Dutch in the semi-final to win, and the most ridiculous penalty shootout you've ever seen um, <laughs> in in the Euro '92 semi-finals. Just unbelievable yeah. stuff. Uh, but anyway, like it's just that that flip side. They got it together in a couple of games to win a European Championship having not been meant to be there at all. They were only there because Yugoslavia were thrown out. Um, and then to flip around to 30 years later, when there is expectation on them, three games in and they're gone. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow, obviously, they are playing uh, Croatia at 3pm. That's on RT2 and the RT player. Well, Canada play Morocco. Um, so Croatia progress if they stay undefeated. A loss would require Canada to beat Morocco. And goal difference coming back to Croatia are pretty much through, let's be honest. Morocco progress if they avoid a loss. Should they falter, it would leave them needing Belgium to beat Croatia. Again, goals scoring and conceding conceded would uh, decide it. And Belgium will qualify with victory over Croatia. Um, they will be out if defeated and a draw will only be enough if Morocco lose to Canada. So you're looking at this match as Croatia, basically, they don't want to lose. But even though losing probably won't be too bad, Belgium have to win effectively or there's serious pressure on them and Anthony they are um they're being quite Belgian like, like they, they do have this you know kind of tendency occasionally to just seem to like it's not like it's not even within the camp it's quite openly outward like you know you've got De Bruyne and uh um what's his name formerly of Spurs kind of having a go at each other um, Tongan, yeah. Tongan via press conferences 
and uh, then you have the nice Timothy Castagna of Leicester City. He's a lovely boy. Uh, he's just in the middle of it today at the pre-match press conference saying, no, so, so, no we're, all, we're grand, we're grand, because I'm Timothy Castagna of Leicester, and I'm not going to, you know, this is my first major tournament or second major tournament in Belgium. I'm not getting in the middle of this one. So it's quite clear, I would say, Hazard, De Bruyne, and a few more of the other lads, Witzel, etc., are quite likely not seeing eye to eye. And you know what, Anthony, De Bruyne didn't lie. They are too old. They look old. Witzel, who was one of my favourite footballers of the last decade, just he's he's not up to it anymore. And Hazard is the captain, so he can't be dropped, and he's clearly not up to it either. Yeah, you know, it's funny like how players get reputations, you know, Ronaldo for being for being a bit a bit sulky or throwing his toys out of the brand, you know, justifiably so. But De Bruyne kind of gets away with it a little bit. Like he he has a bit of history. You know, he's he's questioned Guardiola after the Champions League final. I think he, he said they overcomplicated their their tactics. Uh, he's, he's not above throwing his dummy out, you know. He doesn't get many chances to do at Man City, at Man City because they win so often. But, okay, what he said... Was could, probably, could you also say he's usually right? <laughs> well, look, I mean, he probably is, but it, it still it doesn't mean that he should come out and say it. You know, yeah. like, I, I thought it was, he was wrong to do that. And they've still every chance of getting out of this group, but there's just, you look at them, like, there's in these tournaments, you know, I, I think England have a real chance at this World Cup. Because when you look at them, they're not flawless. There's there's certain things you would you know that they're, they're. I think Southgate is maybe a little bit too cautious. I think that there's an issue uh, with Harry Maguire at the back. I just think he's he's, he's he's in lack of mobility. But they're all on the same wavelength. Like they're together and they look very settled and they all seem to know what they're doing and they they believe in what they're doing. And when you have a team, we've seen this before with the Dutch in particular. When you have a team like that where where players are coming out and there's a bit of um, the scent in the camp and there's a, a star man like that like you're doomed you're, you're doomed like even if they get out of this group you just you can't survive a tournament like this if you're not together and uh, yeah I think again Mex- as, as Mexico Michael... just got a third lads they're going oh. through they're going through their yellow ca- oh wait oh it's offside is it oh no it's offside oh does it... oh heartbreak he looks I, I'm not too sure but one one sec oh no he is he's a good two yards offside never mind sorry sorry Anthony that happens on this podcast it's trains of thought get derailed rather quickly no, like, milk, milk this tension now because in four years yeah so look no they there is that whole thing of the golden generation it, it's now over you know it's now done for them and it probably is weighing heavily on them and yeah there's a lot of those great players who are definitely past their peak i mean hazard is, is absolutely past it now and has been probably for a couple of years um i do i don't know I, I think they might get out of the group though i think they might just rally and, and get the win to get them out but i don't see them i, I certainly don't see them going all the way oh god no Make the like Croatia do seem like the kind are also a bit wizened in in a lot of positions, but they they seem to have a, a certain uh, togetherness and probably just a bloody mindedness that the Belgians lack. Like. I I think Croatia will put them out of their misery tomorrow. I think they'll beat. Them. They're a very good tournament team. I don't think they can afford to do anything other than put them out of their misery for two reasons. I mean, okay, I, I you're right. You know, it, the Croatia should be okay, but like. They're like Croatia four points, Morocco four points, Belgium have three, and Canada have none. So I mean, there is a combination of results here that puts Croatia out. So like, you know, in that scenario, why why chance it? You're doing two things. Number one, if Belgium were to somehow straggle through, uh, and the Croatians with them, let's say it was let's say they drew, I mean, you're giving Belgium the opportunity to get better. Just take them out now. 
yeah. take them out now and remove the drama for yourself as well. Yeah. Um, like I would expect, I mean, the Moroccans, uh, there's, I mean, this is the thing that, you know, I suppose we kind of know, but maybe we don't always acknowledge it completely. I mean, the football culture in some of these countries is enormous. Like the football culture in Morocco is, gi- is gigantic. Um, like my, my brother-in-law is Moroccan, funny enough. Like I've got two kids running around here, Moroccan kids. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it is all, it is all to them, you know? Um, so, I mean, this is, this is huge for them. You know, they've tried to, they've, they've gone for World Cups in the past to host the bloody things. So like, I mean, getting through to the second round, I, I think, you know, the Canadians have, I thought the Canadians would be better. Um, but you know, there seems to be an element of dysfunction within Canadian football at administrative level. I think Kevin Cabam was writing about it even, was it today in the Irish Times, that it's kind of been reflected a little bit on the field. But of course, at the same time, it's a bit of a sighter World Cup for them as well. You know, it's a kind of yeah. a, a learning a learning curve for them. So look, there is that. But I would expect the Moroccans to win tomorrow. And if the Croatians have any sense, which they have plenty of, but they're a great tournament team. Um, take Belgium out now and let's move yeah. on. Because the, the, the prize for winning this group is well it is tbc but the prize for come second in this group is almost certainly spain in the second round who aren't the finished article by any means anthony uh but you would imagine they'll have too much for japan tomorrow they will top group uh group e and then it then it gets very interesting um germany basically are in a must-win game against costa rica which i don't think too many people had on their bingo card at the start of this world cup yeah, absolutely. I, I I love watching Spain. I think they're just as you expect. They're technically technically brilliant, and um, you know they've got Gavi is, is just one of the, sort of the, the great hope there. You know, fantastic to watch, and I agree. I think they will. I think they'll look after Japan tomorrow. That they're going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how far they go. So sorry, to, who can Spain get in the last sixteen? Or, Spain, Spain will get whoever comes second in the group playing out uh, tomorrow. Croatia, Belgium, Canada, Morocco. So they'll get oh, either yeah. they'll get either Morocco or Belgium. You would imagine Croatia should win the group, yeah. and set up uh, a, a last sixteen match against Germany, Costa Rica, or Japan. <laughs> oh Jesus! So potentially Spain, Belgium. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's 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 very interestingly set up and. Um, a no- notable, uh, Michael, uh, you are something of a sporting historian. Um, Costa Rica, Germany tomorrow will have the first ever all-female set of officials too. So that's um, that, that's a nice bit. That's a nice bit of uh, uh, progression from yeah, FIFA. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, did we ever think we'd be uttering the sentence "Germany have a must-win game against Costa Rica tomorrow"? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's the beauty of the World Cup. Like you can, I mean, I was very conflicted about even watching this thing, but ultimately. The damn thing sucks you in. And that's the problem with three-team groups in the future as well. They'll suck us in as well. We'll give out, we'll give out like mad about them. And, you know, they'll dilute this now. We'll be watching it. Yeah, and, we'll every- find, and we'll find some way to be enthralled by it. It's sickening. Well, a penalty shootout before every game, that'll have you for a start anyway. <laughs> that'll get me going. There was, there was always conviction with Qatar, you know, that once the football starts, everything else will quieten down. And, and that is what happens because that's, that is what happens. You know, we all, it, because it's, it's such a brilliant spectacle. And th- this is my favourite part of any major tournament as well. We're just coming to the end of it in actual fact, where you've got football on all the time yeah. <laughs> all the time and, and this just the time for this 10 a.m uh 10 a.m 1 p.m 4 p.m 7 p.m like that is just it just doesn't get better like from our point of view and it's just constantly on 
I don't, I don't know how my children stayed alive for 10 days, to be honest with you, because the parenting was <laughs> was lackluster at best. Look, it, it is. We've all been conflicted going into this, but it's really because we love the sport. You know, it's, it's just impossible not to get drawn into it. Uh, Mikey, there's kids there. There, there are children going feral all over the country now, <laughs> learning, learning, learning skills, life survival skills that they would they would have only been delayed by years. But the World Cup accelerates all. all yeah, that stuff. there's two there's two little street urchins in Morocco jerseys running around uh, North Cork <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, they're making their own way. They'll be fine. So. We are now into the final 30 seconds on live stream. Anthony, you look around the corner there. Is Poland Argentina yeah. over? Uh, it must no, be very nearly, very yeah. nearly over. And uh, the other match is in the fourth minute of seven of injury time. And Mexico are battering the Saudi goal and they're getting nowhere. Uh, but they're also not picking up any yellow cards. They might, maybe they're hoping the Poles get involved in a mass brawl at the end of this one and they'll sort them out. Uh, you know, actually, I'm just, I, I was just thinking there. I mean, we were just talking about like the best, you know, Anthony was saying, you know, the best, the best times when the football is on all the time. Actually, this, this stage, the, the last days of the group stages is nearly... The most the best part of, of a world cup honestly maybe that's too much to say with finals but just in terms of like teams aren't playing out for extra time for penalties they're not being cautious they're not taking it slowly for the first 45 minutes because they just want to see how it goes they have to go for it like yeah or they do go if they just play and particularly on the last um on the last night even the team like poland who sat back they had to withstand incredible pressure there to get through you know um mm. so there's drama there's drama everywhere on the last days of these groups um, which is, I, you know, this is possibly, I don't know, maybe it's too much to say it's the best part of the world. But it, it, it is my favourite part. It's the thing, I think as well, just on that, that the, the thing that saves the FA Cup, like that just, like sort of justifies the FA Cup hanging around is the third round of the <gasps> FA Cup. Yeah. Saudi you know, Arabia have just scored. Ah, oh, Saudi Arabia have just broken Mexican hearts in the fifth minute of injury time. Everything interesting in this ha match happens, Anthony, while you're making a very salient and interesting point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to pretend I know who scored the goal, but it has been given. It's a uh, move down to right. Well, play a little 10. triangle back into the 18. Uh, one, two with the man in the arc. Breaks open the Mexican defense and slots it past uh, Ochoa. So that's 2-1 oh, and cool. that's that's the group sorted now. Mexico are not making the last 16 as they have done. I think it pretty much every World Cup since 86 or something wow. mental like that. I think, yeah, since the last time they hosted it, the last 16 is as far as they've got. Um, but they're not even going to get that far this time. Sad. Sorry, Mikey, we're, we're looking at shots of uh, Poland fans who obviously haven't got the news yet that that goal's gone in. They're sort of pensively in the stands. I think it's just rippling through now. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're watching. They've, they've switched over to uh, the... Uh, the other game now so i've only i've got one screen turned off so the uh connection should be a bit better um while we wait for this to play out because this is something i wanted to mention again mick just as as a, as a something of a historian who is currently watching a world cup from 30 years ago um what is 40 sorry, years ago 40 years ago jesus i know i was Amazing. born a year after it happened i was re i was really being kind to myself there yeah. <laughs> um what 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 is it you miss most about say World Cups from the last millennium, you know, kind of, you know, the, you know, going back in time, I suppose the classic World Cup to me is probably 1990. That's the one that always sticks in my head. But what, what is it make that you miss? I'll go first. I'll just say it's, I, I guess it's, um, it's the unusual jerseys made by companies you've never heard of. And also the mysterious players in those jerseys who you've never heard of because 
globalization hadn't occurred in football at that stage. You've hit the nail on the head. I, I would agree. We, we've done three series of this, including Espana 82. We've done Espana 82 one day at a time. We've done Euro 92 and we did Italian 90 during lockdown. That's where it started because it was no <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did. So we just did exactly as the 13th anniversary every day, watch the games and talk to them and about the stories around them. And that's the concept. But what I miss is exactly what you just said. Um, like take it 1982, for example. So we all know about the Brazil 82 team. Right. We think we know about them, right? And we've seen the, the highlights reel. We've seen Falcao celebrating. We've, we've seen Eder slamming goals in from 30 yards, Socrates, all the rest of it. But the thing about it was that the, all those Brazilian players, most of them, I think apart from Falcao, who was playing for Roma, they were all in Brazil. And there was no football on television back then. So you never saw them. So the first time that people saw Zico, Socrates, Falco, Junior, uh, Eder, all these guys in cahoots on a football field was at a World Cup. And like having watched the full matches now of that Brazilian team from 82, I now know for sure, you know that bit in Pulp Fiction, you know, they're, they're carrying around the suitcase all the time. They're going to everyone's suitcase. And at the very end, Tim Roth is holding up the diner and he makes Samuel L. Jackson open the suitcase. And of course, it's beautiful glow. What's inside is a, is a highlights reel of Brazil <laughs> that's what it is and specifically the first 10 minutes of their game against USSR in 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 the World Cup for me that's what it is I know it now so it's that it's that it's seeing players that you've only heard of or you've seen their pictures and shoot or match or your or your annual from the previous December and also the jerseys I mean the jerseys in 82 Admiral were there like Admiral were all over it mm. it was the first Adidas it was the first World Cup with Sepp Blatter in charge and he had just come from adidas so there's a lot of adidas jerseys uh for some reason the footballs like lads the tango football from 82 was a thing of incredible beauty so like things like that but it, it was just i suppose it's that novelty like we know all the brazilians now i mean i was going through the brazilian squad uh for this world Cup. one sub goalkeeper in brazil that's it isn't it that's it and so many players who play in england i mean i mean i think my memory of the Brazil of the Brazil team of the eighties, I mean, the, or Brazilian players, I should say, playing in England. Mirandinha, I think, it, at, at Newcastle was the first I can remember playing in England. It he was did the somersault throw, didn't he? Uh, him? I don't think so. No, he was more of a kind of a player. He was, I think he might have been. He was there when Gaza was there. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, Juninho, Juninho came ten or eleven years later to to Middlesbrough when the money was really flowing into the Premier League. So, I mean, that it's that, it's exactly what you said, man. Like it's just, and I mean, the football. Like the football is different because like the heat, I mean, I was watching Northern Ireland versus Austria today in the second phase and the heat, it's on at quarter past four in the afternoon and it's 44 degrees in Madrid, 44 Jesus. degrees Celsius and they're playing football and like the Northern Irish guys are wearing jerseys that are 110% polyester. I mean, basically if they stand beside an open flame, they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. In fact, I'm amazed they haven't just combusted in the heat. So like it's just such a totally different. I mean, the, the grounds aren't full. Um, you know, the look of it is different. Everything is different, but there's a certain charm to that as well. Yeah, there is. And Anthony, the stories are amazing. How about you? Uh, sorry, by the way, just to confirm that a two nil Polish fans and players are um, reveling in their two nil defeat, which has been good enough to put them through. So, um, as probably kind of expected, we have uh, Group C has been topped in the end by Argentina and um, second place goes to Poland 
And that means that Argentina, once they win this tournament for Messi, we'll all look back on that Saudi Arabia game and say, oh, it was just, it was, it was the making of them. Anthony, to, to, to go back in time, what would it be for you? What's, what's the thing you miss most about old World Cups, old no, European Championships? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo a lot of what you guys have, have said. You know, the, the, there's no secrets anymore in the game. You know, like at Italian 90, which is my sort of, that's the first clear tournament that I can remember. Scalacci was the breakout for, for Italy. He scored seven goals in his entire Italy career, and six of them were Italian 90. You know, so it was like he's this sort of cultural touchstone in Ireland because that was our big debut on that stage and he scored against us and he was one of the stories of the tournament. Um, and, and things like that, stories like that, just, they just don't happen anymore. They can't happen. It's just, it's just such saturation point in terms of coverage as well, uh, which I think is another thing, strangely, that you'd miss as much as you love watching games, games of football. There's just there's too much. Like the, the World Cup... Summer World Cup, there was a, such a lead in to it. There was so much less football on television as well. Yeah. It, it re, I mean, it's a novelty now to watch games, uh, four games a day or whatever it's been. Then it was just like this, you know, hook to your veins. And I think as well, because of that, because it was less frequently on TV, when you're watching other countries, it's like a little window into different cultures. Like the, the way the Italians played the game, you know, the, the gestures with the hands and the dives and the way that they look like their bronze and the hair stick, like this is all sort of uh, exotic and foreign in a way that it, it can't be now because the world is a smaller place and we're watching these players every single week in the Premier League. <coughs> Absolutely. The old, the old, the, I always and think, go on, Mick. Sorry, sorry, no, Mike, sorry, to, <coughs> sorry for cutting across you. Uh, and to Anthony's point, like it's so analysed now. The game is so analysed. I mean, compared to 2030, even, even the 1990 World Cup. I mean, the Al's... <laughs> Like in '82, like El Salvador lost ten-one to Hungary. That was that was one of the famous games. The only film they got to, uh, to the only analysis they did of Hungary before the game was an agent came around to their hotel, waving a video in their faces of a Hungarian game. The boys did a whip round to pay for the video, and they had I didn't know, I didn't even know that they watch it. But like you know, it's it's so primitive compared to now. So there 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 were secrets then. You genuinely teams went out genuinely not knowing what the opposition were going to do. They had an idea. Like England England were asking their German-based players what the Germans going to be like because they hadn't really watched much of them. You know, it's unimaginable now. It's yeah. unimag- I mean, you can imagine how much Tunisia watched of, not France, I mean, how much they would have seen of Denmark, of teams that they ordinarily maybe wouldn't have any interest in. But yeah. they're completely, it's, that's the thing. But look, at that's, that's modern sport as well. Yeah, that's just what's yeah. done. He just made just me just one more thing on it. Uh, there was a, uh, Ken Early had a really good article, I think, about a year ago. But he, he made the point that why how punditry has changed and why it's changed. Uh, a big part of it, like recently in the last few years, has accelerated the change to perhaps a bit more mundane on the fence punditry in a lot of uh, instances is because people know if they say something silly, yeah, or if they stick their neck out, it will come back to bite them. Like it could go viral. Oh, you said this and then this happened. So in Euro 96, Alan Green was commentating on uh, Radio 5, BBC Radio 5. And at halftime in the England-Scotland game, he absolutely slated Paul Gascoigne. He's finished. He's overweight. He's not in the game. He should not be in this England squad. And he is. he has to be taken off at halftime. Gascoigne went on to score the famous goal in the second half. England make the semis. And, and that is airbrushed out of it because we don't have, like, it's it's not reproduced. It's not thrown back at Alan Green. There's no way 
there's no platform for, for people to do that. But you know, he he aired his opinion on it. Uh, you know, obviously subsequently would be made. Now, at the time, he was probably correct. I mean, Gascoigne probably was not playing very well. Like, I'd have to go back and watch the game. I can't yeah. say for sure. But it's just... He was definitely he, overweight. Like, you know, anybody who's on that couch now is very aware that they, oh, I can't be... I can't say something that could come be, make me look silly <laughs> in two hours' time, you know. And as a result, it's just a little less... Uh, there's probably a little less personality in it. Uh-huh. I'm glad, I'm glad we don't mind making ourselves look silly. That's that's, that's the important thing. Oh, um, my, I think uh, Di Maria is still playing with PSG, so... <laughs> There's probably Juventus fans who think he's still playing with PSG too, so don't worry about it. Um, just on that note, the um, you made me smile talking about... You know, I, I always remember... It's one of the Adrian Mould books where he comes downstairs and his father is... It must be on the South America or some World Cup where he's shouting at the TV at six in the morning and he's realizes he's watching Honduras versus New Zealand. But that's what it, that's kind of what it does to us. It's, uh, it's the World Cup. that always sticks in my head. It is the World Cup and um, it's all on TV again tomorrow, lads. Obviously, um, you've got the Croatia Belgian game on RTE two, um, and you've got Costa Rica Germany on RTE two, which means the other two games are on the news channel and the player. Um, we'll be back again tomorrow evening. Um, to try and watch two football matches simultaneously and construct normal sentences and it's yeah you can tell yourself it's going really well um thank you to mick and thank you to anthony and we'll chat to you then good luck and goodbye let's go